1: As I said yesterday, these seven letters should be understood as real letters from Jesus via John to seven actual historical churches in Asia Minor, but they are also simultaneously letters to us today. Therefore, these letters have an immediate and an enduring application. In chapter 3, we're reading the last three of these seven letters. Let's begin reading, starting at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, I should have mentioned yesterday that in the opening address of each of these letters, Jesus reintroduces some aspect of the symbolism that we saw in chapter one. So here he mentions the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Seven spirits of God are generally understood as a symbolic way of referring to the Holy Spirit in all of his power and fullness the seven stars, are the seven pastors, or the seven angels of the churches. So the sense is that Jesus is saying that he is the one who distributes power and fullness from the Holy Spirit to the churches so as to enliven the mission and message of the churches. Jesus can give out power for preaching, you might say. But before he does... He has some things to discuss with this particular church. Let's get back into the text. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That takes us to the end of verse 6. I mentioned yesterday that in general, in each of these letters, Jesus provides a commendation, an accusation, an exhortation, and a promise. That's the general pattern. So let's use that pattern to evaluate this letter. First of all, let's notice that the commendation here is very brief. It's, it's almost not here at all. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So he says, you're, you're a busy group. You're doing things that the culture approves of. You have a good reputation among fallen and unregenerate people. But in reality, you are dead. During his earthly ministry, Jesus did not put much stock in a good reputation. He said in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Having a good reputation doesn't mean much to Jesus. And that's pretty much all that can be said in favor of this church. In terms of the accusation, uh, we have more content to work with. He says in verse 2, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Things that you do, he says, upon closer inspection, are essentially sub Christian. Right? There's something missing here. Given how Jesus introduces himself in verse 1, and given the surprising fact that these Christians are well thought of while most of the other churches around them are fighting for their lives. Many scholars conclude that what was missing in Sardis was gospel clarity. Right? Because it's easy to be well thought of when you engage in generic good works. It is far less likely that you'll be well thought of when you're preaching the gospel of Christ crucified. The exhortations found in verses 2 to 3. Look at those verses now. Notice the five imperative verbs or the five commands. He says, number one, wake up. Number two, strengthen. Number three, remember. Number four, keep. And number five, repent. That's good counsel in our day more than ever. The promise is found in verse five. As with the other letters, it's a particular version of the promise of eternal life. Here, the emphasis is on an unashamed declaration of friendship from Jesus and a permanent place In the book of life. Again, you can see the connection to the problem that's being addressed. Jesus could have just said, obviously, he could have said, if you keep the faith, you will go to heaven. But his comments are more particular. To this church that appears to have been a little bit ashamed of the gospel, a little bit sliding back in a culture, Jesus says, if you hold your witness and stay faithful and courageously proclaim your allegiance to me, then I will proclaim my allegiance to you and I will be faithful to you for all eternity. This sounds like what Jesus said in Matthew ten, thirty-three. Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, as in his flesh, so in his glory, Jesus doesn't change. Now, just before we start the next letter, let me, let me draw your attention to verse four there. There are still some in Sardis who are not compromised, who have maintained a pure life and witness before the Lord. Jesus says. So hear that. Even in bad churches, there are good Christians. Second letter, or rather the sixth letter overall, begins in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia is one of two churches in this list of seven that receives no accusation at all. Like the church in Smyrna, they are undergoing persecution. And it, and it may be, as the scripture says, that one who suffers in the body is done with sin. It may be as simple as that. That's First Peter 4.1. It, it may be that the suffering here has been sanctifying. And therefore, the church in Philadelphia is ahead of her sister churches in terms of growth and development. That may be it. The words of the commendation begin in verse 8, and they appear at first to be similar to the commendation given to Sardis. I know your works, but this time there's no qualification. Jesus said to Sardis that their works looked good, but upon further inspection were essentially sub-Christian. He doesn't say that here. This faithful church is about to have their territory expanded. He says, Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. So, Faithfulness is rewarded with further influence. File that truth away for future reference. The exhortation is found in verse 9. Jesus encourages them with the thought that they will be vindicated before their oppressors. Now, the language here uh, may seem sharp and even distasteful to us as we listen to this podcast and sip $5 coffees while we make our air-conditioned commutes, but I think it would sound just about right to the Christians in Syria or Libya or the Sudan. I think they would be comforted and encouraged to hear Jesus saying that those who hate you and those who kill you and those who call you infidel will one day bow at your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Beware your Western bias when reading the Bible. And then lastly, of course, there's a promise in verse 12. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. See, Jesus says, you may be kicked out of the market you may be marginalized in the public square. You may be evicted from your home or even forced to flee your city. But if you are faithful to me, Jesus says, I will make you a permanent structure in the house of my God. To people enduring persecution and dislocation, it doesn't get any better than that. Seventh and final letter begins in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness... The beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, all of these letters from Jesus indicate intimate knowledge of the particular church that's being addressed. We, We didn't have time to go into all of it, but in each of the letters, Jesus picks up on local customs, local history, even local geography in making his comments, and nowhere more so than here in this letter. Everything Jesus says is couched in these local realities. Laodicea was famously rich. They were known for their ophthalmology college. They produced a certain type of wool, and they had notoriously bad water. All of that is picked up by Jesus here. He says, you think you're rich, but you're actually poor in terms of what matters. You think you can see and even help other people to see, but in fact, you're the blind leading the blind. You need to buy clothes from me rather than trying to sell clothes to others. And as it stands, you are useless to me. In terms of mission, you are neither hot nor cold. Cold water, like that enjoyed in the neighboring town of Colossi, would be useful. Hot water, like that enjoyed in the neighboring town of Hierapolis, would be good. You have neither. You are mixed, confused, and unhelpful, as currently constituted. And and this is, as you can tell, the most negative of all the letters. Just as he had nothing bad to say to Philadelphia, so here he is, nothing good to say to Laodicea, anticipating that some might think that harsh. Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Jesus is a firm and loving shepherd, and he is very concerned for the long-term health And witness of his people. May God grant us under shepherds who take heed to his example. Amen.
0: Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.